Well, welcome to the, the second week of a new series we've been in called First. Uh, if you missed the first week of First, which was last week, I want to encourage you to go back and check it out. Uh, watch it, catch up on it. In fact, you sh- if you're in our system at all, you should have gotten an email this week from me that had a link to kind of a vision video, a 12-minute video that just talks about the last year, where we've been, where we're going. Uh, definitely, you need to watch that. And then also, I shared with you a link to the sermon, the full sermon last week. Um, but, but just to kind of catch you up, if, you, if you're new here, if you missed last week or whatever, for about a year ago, our church family embarked on this, this new journey, a season that we called Project One. And uh, our team has put together some, some guidebooks. They, they look awesome. There's a lot of good information in there. If you missed last week and you didn't get a guidebook, I want to ask you to raise your hand and I, we'll, we'll bring one to you just so you can not be be lost here. So raise your hand. They'll bring one to you. Uh, this guidebook has, has a lot of information about the season we've been in, where we're going in this, this next year. And, um, you know, at Project One, we said that there is one God and one name by which we are saved. There, there's one faith, one family, one focus. And ultimately, there's one thing, there's only one thing worthy of giving our lives for, Right? We asked you to go all, all in, not some gave all or all gave some, but, but all of us as a church family to go all, all in. We, we challenge you, our, our church family, to 100% engagement, all of us in the game together, kind of going the same direction. And so many of you chose to do that, right? You, you gave your all, you made commitments, and we've been just blown away at what God has done through those commitments. And we're uh, halfway now, like we're a year into that two-year process. And um, man, it's just been amazing to see what God has done through your faithfulness, through your generosity. And and through this series, okay, we're we're issuing three different uh, challenges for three different groups of people or two two different groups of people. So so if you're new here and and you weren't here last last October, you have no idea what Project One is, uh, we're going to challenge you through this series and through the things you hear to, to commit, to join with us as your church family and, and, and make a commitment in these next 12 months, for these next 12 months. If you were here and, and maybe you didn't make a commitment, we're going to challenge you the same thing. Man, commit, join with us to, to kind of finish this year strong. And if you did make a commitment last year, that's going to be your challenge, to finish strong. Uh, to not let the, the new and the, the excitement wear off, but finish strong the commitment that you made last year. And then finally, for those of you that made a commitment, God might be leading you to increase that commitment. Now, maybe uh, you've had a job change or your financial situation has changed. Maybe God's just leading you more, like speaking to you about priority or, or just trusting him. Whatever the reason, that might be the case for some of you. So, so what we're asking you to do for, for all of us is, is mark your calendars for November 12th. All right, that, that's when we're going to have our, our commitment Sunday. We're going to join together as a church family and make these commitments together. All right. So at the city, you know this, we don't pass a plate. We don't talk about money very often, but we are going to be for the next few weeks. Okay. So, so don't be that guy or girl that's like, see you in a couple of weeks, right? When you're, when you're done with this, hang with us and listen, at least be willing to ask God the questions like, God, what are you speaking to me in this? Let, let him be the one that drives this. Okay. And then you can make your own decision. But, but we want to challenge you to mark that date on your calendar, November 12th. And that's going to be Commitment Sunday. So to catch you up, 
Like Clayton said last week, you know, our hearts can, can tend to get out of alignment, like a car that's severely out of line that can pull one direction or the other. And it can tend to fall off in one of, the two, one of these two ditches, either self-sufficiency or self-centeredness. And from time to time, it's good for us to stop and have the Holy Spirit challenge us. Is there something in us out of alignment? Is there some kind of adjustment he needs to make to, to recenter us on him? and on his mission for us. In this series called First, we're going through 2 Corinthians uh, chapters 8 and 9. We're going verse by verse and looking what Paul says about giving. To kind of recap last week, Clayton started in chapter 8. If you remember, there's this, this church in Jerusalem, the, the believers in Jerusalem are under severe attack and persecution, right? They're struggling big time, and especially financially. And so Paul's writing these letters to, to churches throughout the region. These are Gentile churches. He mentions the church of Macedonia being one of them. And obviously he's writing this letter to a church in Corinth. And he's imploring these guys to, to give to this cause in Jerusalem. Okay, so, so he holds up as the standard uh, the church in Macedonia, who is very, very, very poor. He, they're, they're the ultimate example. And we, we read last week that they were so eager to give to this, despite their poverty, they were so eager to give that they were begging to be a part of it. And so he, he's challenging these, this church in Corinth, who a year before had made a commitment to, to help uh, this, 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 uh, the, the believers in Jerusalem to, to finish strong. And to give. So Paul writes this letter to them, kind of comparing the two. The church in Corinth was very, very well off. They were very wealthy. And again, the church in Macedonia, not so much. And he, he holds this church of Macedonia, in Macedonia up as an example. And in verse 5, this is the key verse for the whole series. Speaking of that church in Macedonia. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us. Just as God wanted them to do. They gave themselves first to what? To him, to the Lord, right? That's priority. That's what Clayton talked about last week. Like when we make first thing, the first thing, like when he is priority in our life, things kind of work out from there. So they gave themselves first to the Lord. And secondly, to who? To us. Who's us? Each other, to the church body, the body of Christ, our church family, to other believers. It, this verse should be the mark of every single Jesus follower. In fact, if someone were to ask you, what is being a Christian all about? I think this verse is a great answer. Following Jesus is about giving yourself first to him and then to each other. That's what our life should look like. And if you want to get to the end of your life and know that you did more than just pay bills and consume resources and just have a good time. It's going to take living out this verse, giving ourselves first to him and then to each other. Cause we, we all have in us this God given desire to live for something more than ourselves. It's in there. A desire to, to, to live even for the glory of God. That's what we're looking at today. We're going to start with where we left off, verse 7 last week. Verse 7, he said, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. He, he told them, this church in Corinth, remember, you, you excel in so many ways, in, in your, your faith, in your knowledge, your, your enthusiasm for the gospel. He's like, don't forget about giving, like excel also in this grace of giving. 
We learn that giving is a ministry of grace and how the, the terms for grace and giving in the original language are, are almost interchangeable. Grace receivers become grace dispensers, right? What we dispense is a reflection of what we have received. So now we're starting in verse eight. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, uh, this is 2 Corinthians chapter eight, verse eight. Uh, in your app, we have message notes. You can click over to those, and uh, it's a great way to stay connected to the, the content. There's fill-in-the-blank stuff. Kind of keep your mind occupied there. <laughs> all the quotes are there. All the verses are there. So I encourage you to, to, to look at that. Um, so there's quite a few verses here. We're going to unpack them one by one. And what we're doing ultimately today is, is looking at the how of giving, like how are we supposed to give, why are we supposed to give, and then the when and the what of giving going to get really, really practical, man. If, if you like practical and applicable, this is going to be for you because that's what Paul is. And that's what we're going to talk about. He's giving us what it should look like, what our lives should look like in this area of giving. How do we measure up to the standard Paul is setting for us? And then ultimately I'm asking you to ask the question, is, is there some kind of recalibration that needs to happen in your own heart? Verse eight, Paul writes, I'm not commanding you to do this, but I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. So he starts with saying, this is not a command. Now, if you think like me, especially looking at last week's verses, and you'll see some this week too, it kind of sounds like a command here and there, right? He's like, excel at giving, like you should finish what you started. But, but here's the problem. Here's what Paul knows, what he's trying to say to us. Like, you can't command someone to give. You can't force someone into generosity. Why? Because if you're successful and they give, all you've done is to create a begrudging gift. Like, fine, you know, fine. I'll give, I'll, I'll be generous. That, that kind of gift, we'll see today, that kind of gift is pointless. It's fruitless. He's encouraging them, like exhorting them, like, come on, like you can do better. And he uses a little bit of a, a shame tactic, like be more like the Macedonians. You remember they're, they're the, the ones that are poor. They were so eager. They begged to give. That's, that's like a parent saying to their child, like, why can't you be more like your sister? Or why can't you be more like your brother? Like, why are you the way that you are? I never heard that growing up, but I'm sure my sisters heard it constantly. <laughs> it's true. Anyway, but like a good coach, he's, he's telling them, You've been given so much, like you're, you're better than this. There's, there's more in you. He's pushing them to be more than they're currently being, to fulfill their potential, what God is calling them to do. And he says, this is a test of your, of your faith, of your love for each other. And that's the, that's the how of giving. How are we supposed to give? With eagerness. With eagerness. Paul's like, man, I, I just, I just want you to want to, right? I want you to want to, I'm not commanding you. I'm just, I'm just saying like, you should want to. And it's kind of concerning that some of you don't want to. Let me give you a kind of a dumb example. Uh, how many of you guys are huggers? Let me see your hands. You like to hug. All right. These are the people we need to avoid. <laughs> I'm not a hugger. My wife is, is a hugger. I am not a hugger. Trust me, if I hug you, it's for you. It's not for me, okay? Uh, I'm not going to turn it down because I'm not a psychopath, but 
I got a lot of extra hugs after the first service. Uh, just, just so you know, people were trying to convert me. It's not going to work. But my wife is a hugger, and, and she, she, she needs she needs hugs. She was telling me, like, don't you ever just need a hug? And I'm like, no, never once in my life have I needed a hug. But she really wants me to give her a hug, and sometimes she has to resort to asking me for a hug. All right, that hug is different than one I give voluntarily, right? Like, like an out-of-the-blue, unsolicited hug is different. And so, so it's, it's just different. She's like, why, why can't you hug me more? And I'm like, what about laying down hugs? And she says, that's not the same and I, I don't really see the difference, you know, but then she calls me an idiot and uh, we move on. But the point is here, this is one of those, like, I want you to want to kind of things. Like, I, I want to, to fail to give it to this collection. It's kind of exposing a weakness in the Corinthian church, like a weakness in their, their faith. He's, he's telling them, like, sliding on, on this commitment you made, like, what does that say about your heart? It's not just about giving or what you give or give or don't give or whatever. It's, it's all, all about your attitude. In fact, your attitude in giving is more important than what you give. The attitude, it's the most important thing. Paul never establishes a standard for giving. He, he establishes a standard of giving cheerfully. The key to giving is in the attitude of your heart. And we're about to see down in verse 12 that it's, that's the only thing that makes your gift even acceptable to God. No matter the amount. And he'll write in the next chapter, chapter 9, God loves a cheerful giver. Listen, I, I've been in ministry a long time. I've talked to a lot of different people. And there's just something weird that happens when it comes to, to talking to Christians about their money. People get weird. They kind of clam up. Did, did you know a good indicator of someone's spirituality is their bank account? It's just true. You, you get a good glimpse into like their, their true priorities, like what, what they think is most important in life. There, there's just something in us. And listen, we're, we're all the same. When we give our lives to Jesus and we're trying to live this Christian life and live for him, there's just something in us that happens that, that makes it difficult to let go of that one area. Like we're, we're so quick to surrender every area of our lives. Like it's all yours, God. It's all yours, God, right? I surrender to you. But when it comes to, to finances or money or, or the, the real tangible stuff, we go closed fisted and we, we hang on to it. And it's just difficult for us to trust God in that way. You remember... Back in Luke, when Jesus is ministering and he has the rich young ruler come up to him and he asks him, what must I do to be saved? What does Jesus tell him? So you see, Jesus knew that he was rich. He knew that this guy had an idol in his life and it was his money. So, so instead of beating around the bush, Jesus goes straight for the issue and he tells him, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. How does he respond? He wasn't willing to surrender his stuff, his money, to the lordship of Jesus. And it says he walked away sad. Where a man's heart is, that's where his treasure is. Like someone's money is going to follow their, their heart, their priorities, their true desires. 
Paul's saying, I'm not commanding you, like, but come on. Like, you, you should want to. Their lack of giving and generosity, it's saying something about their love for God, for the church, for each other. And he's calling them out on it. Verse nine. You know, the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. So, so there it is, right? Like this is the reason we should be so eager to give. You, you've got the Macedonian example on one side, like, hey, be more like your brother or sister, right? But also be more like Jesus. I'm not commanding you, you should want to. Why? Because of the gospel. That's, that's the why of giving. Because of the gospel. You should want to because of Jesus and what he's done for you. It's not just about the money. He's reminding them, like he starts with, listen, you know, right? You know the gospel. You know what Jesus did in order to give you salvation, to give you eternal life. You know that Jesus himself is the, the example of how, how grace or how giving is joyfully expressed in love. Jesus is the example. Being rich and then poor, right? He, he's not just talking about Jesus' economic status. Yes, Jesus left the riches of heaven and he came to earth. He was born into poverty. He, he went from a borrowed manger where he was born to being buried in a borrowed Tomb. But listen, he's not just talking here about financial things. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is God, the Son. He has all the eternal attributes that God the Father has, that God the Holy Spirit has. And he divested himself of that deity so that he could undergo this, this incarnation, right? Becoming human. In spite of his position in heaven, he left all that so that we might be saved, so that we might become rich in what? In mercy, in love, in grace. His poverty made us rich. He died so we don't have to. He became sin so that we could be saved from the penalty of our own sin. To put it another way, Christ went from riches to rags so that we could go from rags to riches. And now, if, you, if you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian right now, like his righteousness is credited to you, his perfection. I know we're not perfect, right? But right now, speaking of our, our justification before God, right now before God's holy throne, we stand before him holy and blameless without a single fault. That's what it says in Colossians 1. We didn't do that. He did that. We, we wear the righteousness of Christ himself from spiritual rags to eternal riches. See, that, that incarnation is demonstrating the willingness, his, his willingness to, to give up his own rights for the sake of meeting the needs of someone else. He gave up everything for us. So when it comes to giving, yes, Jesus is the ultimate example. He owed us nothing and he gave everything. He, he's the new standard. I love this quote by a theologian named Scott Haifman. He says, giving is not a way of showing God how much we can do for him, but a way of illustrating how much God has done for us. 
See, so we can't, we can't lose this here. I don't think a lot of people connect their giving to the gospel, but that's what Paul says it's about. See, there was a price to be paid for, for what we now enjoy in, in Jesus. And it's not just the, the incarnation, right? The, the, the Godson coming to a fallen world. That, that's only the beginning. There was also the cost of rejection and ridicule and persecution and betrayal and suffering. All of this, this culminating in the, the agony of the cross. That, that's the true, the true cost of our salvation. So yes, we should be eager to give, eager to be generous because of the truth of the gospel. And then in verse 10, he gets practical again. Here's my advice. It'd be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched by your matched now by your giving. So, so he's giving some practical advice to us again, right? Finish what you started. Like a year ago, you were all into this thing. And so now, now I'm, I'm imploring you, like, like don't, don't waver, don't wane. Like let, finish what you started. Don't embarrass yourselves. And that's, that's the win of giving. When should we give? We should always give, even when feelings fade. Even when you don't feel like it. Even when the, the excitement kind of wears off. Paul's like, listen, a year ago, you were like, like count us in. They were the most eager they were the first ones to commit. They were the first ones to actually start giving. And now something's happened. Maybe the excitement has worn off. It's faded. He's like, remember the commitment you made and let's finish strong. I'm not a good finisher of things. Like I'm a great starter. I love to start things. Finishing takes a whole different level of commitment, right? It's like I have so many projects around the house that are like half finished. And there's a lot of you looking at each other like, yep, I've got one of those. Like, like I want so bad to be someone that reads books. Like I want that for myself. Like I want to be a reader, like leaders are readers, you know, getting smarter all the time, learning things, but I'm just not, you know, I've got like a hundred books I've started and haven't finished. Maybe you've got something like that, you know, with, with, diet or exercise or any, some kind of discipline. I know we're all kind of that way when it comes to spiritual disciplines, right? Spending time with God, reading our Bibles, praying, that kind of stuff. Like we have the best intentions. You might even buy yourself a new journal, you know, and you're all excited about it and you sit down and it, it lasts for like two days and then you, you totally let it fall off the map. Like we, we've all been there, right? But hopefully as, as we grow and mature in, in the Lord. This is part of something that takes care of itself, right? We grow in discipline. We grow in our priorities and in our in integrity. Not just always doing whatever feels good or whatever is easiest, whatever's comfortable. But like we said before, like choosing to live for something bigger than myself, like being willing to sacrifice certain things in order to, to follow through on commitments that are important. Paul said earlier, you should give in accordance to your love, right? This is a test of your, of your love. Love sometimes is a choice. Married people, what if you only chose to love your spouse when you felt in love? How would that go? I mean, let's be honest. There's sometimes you wake up and roll over and look and you're just like, I don't know if, 
I feel that in love today. You know what I'm saying? It's like sometimes we talk about this in our re-engage class all the time, our marriage class. Like love isn't just feelings. It's, it's a choice that you have to make. Sometimes the feelings fade. You're not always going to have the warm fuzzies. Sometimes it's just about commitment and choosing to do the difficult thing and laying yourself down for someone else. Jesus isn't just the, the best example of giving. He's our example in relationships. That's what love looks like. That is love. That is commitment. Even when the, the feelings are kind of fleeting, you're making a choice to lay yourself down for someone else. Paul's saying, you, you may not feel it now, but this is, this is a test, man. Follow through, even when the excitement has worn off. See, what, what we need our churches and our culture today, this is something grossly lacking is faithfulness. Faithfulness, steady commitment over time. Like not, not just chasing something all the time or chasing some spiritual high or chasing something you're lacking. I, I mean, we, we've, we've all been there when it comes to churches, right? It's like, it's like you, you, you want to, to, to commit to something and you, you find a church that you like, but then something gets inconvenient or your, your expectations aren't met. And what happens? The, the first sign of trouble, we, we bail. We leave. We try somewhere else. We try a different church. The cycle repeats itself over and over and over again. But see, that, that's not what a family does. Like when we find a church family that, you know, again, we believe our church is one of those, a church that's faithfully teaching scripture and standing on truth. And it's all about, about grace and truth and, and, and being there for each other and community. Like get plugged into somewhere like that and, and stick. Paul's saying a family of God sticks together. They love each other. They're there even when the feelings fade, even when things get difficult. Verse 11. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if, there it is, if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now you have plenty. You can help those who are in need. Later they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As the scriptures say, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over. And those who gathered only a little had enough. Again, Paul does us a favor here. He's getting real practical. Anytime you talk about giving your money, like the inevitable question is, how much? How much? Well, he kind of tells us, right? There's no talk of percentages, but he says, given according accordance to what you have. He's talking about proportion here. Jesus taught this same thing. Remember, remember back, back to Luke, the last time he was in the temple, the very last time he like owned the Pharisees that time. And they're, they're, they're standing in the temple and they're watching people come give their offerings and give their gifts. He sees the widow and she drops two small coins in the minimum that she could give. And what does he say? He said, this woman, has given more than all the rest of the rich people because they only gave a small portion of their excess and she gave it all. So the standard here is, is proportion over portion. In fact, that's the what of giving. What should we give? We should give according to what we have. Yes, give it eagerly. 
Give it because of the gospel. Give it even when feelings fade and give in proportion to what you have. Verse 11 makes it plain that there's an obligation to give, right? But he's not asking them to give beyond what they can afford. He's like, don't make yourselves poor in your gifts. He's comparing the Corinthians to to the Macedonians, right? Who again, were poor or way, way less well off and who were giving beyond their means. The Macedonians were giving way beyond their means. He's not asking the church in Corinth to do the same thing. He's simply making the point that he wants them to to, to get in the game and do their, their share. How much? According to what you have. No fixed percentage is given. So, so you might say, well, what about the Old Testament standard of, of a tithe, you know, 10%? Well, if you study New Testament teachings, the, the, the tithe seems to be a given, right? It seems to be implied. One thing we know about Jesus is that every chance that he got, he was constantly raising the bar of the Old Testament standard. He was raising the bar of the, the Old Testament law. Like you remember the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, remember? He said, hate is murder, he said, lust is adultery and, and so on. In, in the, the, the previous letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul instructs them that they are to set aside a sum of money each week, quote, in keeping with their income, right? Literally, however you have prospered, like set some money back based on that. So at, at the city, you know, we, we say that tithe is, a, if you want to ask us our opinion, the tithe is a good starting point. But ultimately, we believe that God calls us to be radically generous, and if we're walking with him and if he truly is Lord of our lives, he's going to lead us in some way. And all we're asked to be is obedient. So you heard Paul say, he's just asking for some equality, right? He's not asking all Christians to share their, posi- their possessions equally, right? How do we know that? Because he's not asking the church in Corinth, who had a lot, to give to the church in Macedonia, who didn't have, right? He's not asking for things to, to be equal here. This isn't some kind of... Christian socialism, right? He's simply asking for them to do their their fair share. The purpose of this collection to Jerusalem is not to to help Jerusalem by at the same time making the Corinthians poor. He wants to create some some equality or or some translations translate that fairness. Like everyone kind of do their part to to meet basic necessities of other other believers. And it's kind of a, a reciprocating thing, right? Like, you're in the position now where you can give to them because they don't have, down the road, it might be the opposite. Maybe they're in a position to give to you when you don't have. In the Christian life, there should never be some that have excess while there is someone else that has nothing. Verse 15, he quotes Exodus 16, right? Those who gathered had a lot, or had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had just enough. You know what this is talking about, right? This is the, the Israelites. They were, they were wandering in the desert. They had no food. God provided for them in a miraculous way. When they wake up every morning, there's this manna, this kind of bread covering, covering the ground. They could gather it up, have something to eat. But what happened if they tried to hoard it or, or gather too much? It spoiled the next day, right? It, it didn't last. So, so, so what's he saying here? God will supply what you need. If you have too much, there's probably someone else that doesn't have enough. Gather what you need. Share the rest. It's the example we see in the early church, right? They met from house to house. They, 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 they met together. They shared meals together. They, they shared. They helped. When someone was in need, they were there to, to pick up the slack. 
So here's our big idea today. It's to live and give in light of the gospel. Live and give in light of the gospel. See, the, the gospel, if we're doing it right, and if we're, we're truly Jesus' followers, and he has us, he has our hearts, he is Lord of our life, it reorients everything in your life. It changes your desires. Last week, Clayton talked about that primary and secondary, like he is going to be first. We may not do it perfectly all the time, but it should be our heart's desire that he be first in our lives. Realizing what Jesus did for you should make you long to do all sorts of things that don't make sense. See, we, we talk about the gospel a lot as Christians, especially at this church. We talk about it all the time. We've talked about it a lot today, all, all that Jesus has done for us. And something can happen in that environment where you, you can just intellectually kind of start to get numb to it, right? Like, yeah, I've heard this before. Yeah, I've heard this before. And it starts to kind of, kind of lessen the impact of what Jesus actually did for us. We can't let that happen. See, realizing what, what Jesus did for us when he stood in our place the things he went through for us so he could have a relationship with us. We, we treat it so casually. But when he has your heart, it, it makes you do things that don't make sense. Like what? Like love people that don't deserve it. To give grace to people who, who don't deserve it. To be patient, to be kind, to, to, to live and give out of what God has done in our lives. And yes, to give, to spread that gospel message. Like to give your life this, this is the thing that's bigger than ourselves that we should want to give our lives to. Live, give out of what God is doing in your own heart and life. I want you to check out this video from the McSweens who, who are living this out in a very real way, and I want you to hear their story. Check it out. We went to a couple of different churches. Just kind of floated around. Yeah, we just weren't sure really where to go after that. And then um, we saw on Facebook that you guys had started um, The City. And so me and Meredith at first started coming on Wednesday nights. Um, and then when y'all started Sunday service, we just, it felt like home to us. And so that's when we started coming. I was baptized finally here. And, and so at Meredith, our daughter as well, yeah, she came to know Jesus and was baptized here. That was super awesome. Yeah. And then over the summer, we both volunteered for the youth camp. And man, that, that was just amazing. I mean, to see the presence of the Lord and the Holy Spirit in those kids. And then for us too, it was, it was, a, it was quite moving. I mean, we were really touched by it. It was great, yeah. Meredith has changed so much. Um, I've seen her her heart for people has changed. I've seen the wheels turn in her head when we're talking about yeah. things that happen at school, conversations that come up at school. Um, you know, she's she's involved in the youth so much. It's awesome to see her participate and, and really be fulfilled by the Lord's presence. Yeah, that's just the greatest joy is to see it in her. Yeah. Clayton always talked about the core group um, that came together to form the city. And we always, or I always kind of, he didn't probably bleep, but I felt like, oh gosh, we really missed the boat. Like we we missed our opportunity to make a difference. And um, 
When Project One came about, I was like, this is our chance to give back to this church that has given us so much. And yeah, we just really wanted to be a part of the next chapter of the church and, and watch it grow and watch these kids grow. And well, you know, when we made our commitment, we were really like, let's go all in, let's do this, we got this. Um, and he was in a different position in his job where he was making a little more money. Um, well, all that changed. We could have made it financially, but it was just... Uh... It would have been a struggle. Yeah. It would have been really tough. Um, so we sat down and kind of looked at the bills and we were like, okay, what can we cut? Honestly, we tossed around the idea of maybe we cut back on our on our giving to the church. They'll understand, it's okay. We prayed about and that, we talked like, about it for like a day and a half. And they were like, no, that's... that's... It's not our money. Yeah. It's not ours to, to say, no, we're not going to give back to you. It's... Yeah. It, it all comes from him, and so we just wanted to keep that commitment. That, that was a big part of it, you know. He he gave us our abilities to steward our family, not just financial, but in all aspects. And when it came to the finances, like she said, it's, it's his money. He expects us to steward it well. So got a cheaper car for me, and it turns out it was a little nicer, actually. So it kind of worked out. Um, and some other stuff. Too. Yeah, cut some subscriptions, cut extra, you know, Netflix, Hulu, all those memberships that you don't really need to live. So um, it just came down to what was more important to us. We made a commitment to the church, to Jesus. We made a commitment to the kids here, to just, this is like our second family now. It's taught us faithfulness, um, and just trust trust in the Lord. Yeah. You just don't you don't really understand how much it blesses your life until you actually do it. You know, you give back to him what what belongs to him and everything else just kind of falls into place. Would you guys help me thank the Mesweens for sharing with us. I mean, what a great picture that is what it looks like to to live in light of the gospel, to give in light of the gospel, what Jesus has done in, in your life. See, again, when we're following Jesus, when he has our hearts, it changes things. There should be this, this overflow of grace. I met with a, a mentor of mine a few weeks ago, just I had some questions you know, about life, some things we're going through, family. He said God had given him this, this kind of picture he wanted to share with me of this, of this basin, you know, like this bowl, this basin kind of resembling you, your life, your, your spirit, your, everything that's you, your soul. And pouring into this basin is, is this spring, this, this never-ending spring of life, right? God pouring endlessly into us. And the way it's supposed to work is... We want all of him. He's got all of us. And our, our bowl is, is positioned there and he, he fills it up. And it, it, it fills itself to the top and it eventually overflows. And it overflows into the next basin. If you're married, that, that's, that's your spouse. And his grace, his love for you overflows into your spouse's basin. You're, you're able to love them the way you're supposed to, right? The way Jesus loved us. And maybe that, then it, it pours over into your, your kid basin, if you've got a kid, and, and so on and so forth. All those secondary things that are good, but they're not the primary thing. But what we like to do is not let him have all of us. So we may, may tilt our, our basin a little bit, right? And we get just a little bit. And now 
What do we have to share? We have just a little bit to share. A little bit goes into our spouse base and we, we can't love them the way we're supposed to love them because we don't, we don't have, we're, we're sinful, we're selfish people. We, we don't have enough of him to share with anybody else. And then what do the kids get? Can you, can you really be the, the parent you wanna be? And then on and on, even, even in our, yes, generosity, it all comes from, from the spring. question I'm I'm asking you today is, is, are you being filled? Is, is he, is he really first in your life? Are you really living for him? Is he Lord or is he just savior? Francis Chan said in his, his book, Erasing Hell, he says, We've become dangerously comfortable. Believers ooze with wealth and let their addictions to comfort and security numb the radical urgency of the gospel. Man, city, city family, like let's let's not be numb to the urgency of the gospel. Let's not be be comfortable. Let's not go to sleep. Jesus would tell us, listen, like I want you to want to. Like there's there's something not connecting here. Don't be don't be comfortable. Live out of the overflow of what he's pouring into you in your life. In the guidebook we gave you, there's, there's a commitment card. And here's what we as a church family are praying for those cards. As a, as a staff, as pastors, we are praying that whatever you put on that card represents a fresh work of grace. What, what God is doing in your heart. Again, just just be willing to ask the question of him. And then listen to what he says. It's time for a, a new core group, like, like the Macedonians, right? Who, who would respond generously, like to give first, give themselves first to him and then to each other, who were committed to living for something bigger than themselves living for the glory and the fame of God. Would you bow your heads as we, we kind of finish here today? And all I'm asking you to do in this moment, I mean, is just, just ask God to search your heart. Is there, is there something missing? Maybe for you, what's missing is him. You're not following Jesus. Your basin is, is dry. And I'm telling you today, you can make a decision to make Jesus Lord of your life. You can be adopted into his family. All the, the things we talked about Jesus doing for us, he, he did for you. He died for you. And he would do it again. That's how much he loves you. And he is after you, man. He is chasing you. And I implore you just not, not to resist him anymore. He, he lived a perfect life that you and I are capable, incapable of living. And he died the death on the cross that was meant for us 
so that we could have a relationship with God. We can't have a relationship with God on our own because we're, we're sinful and God is holy. His standard is perfection. So, so we, we have no chance outside of Jesus and what he did for us. And all he asks of us is to take that free gift he offers and say yes to him. Follow him today. Your church family, we're we're here for you. We want to to know about this decision you're making. There's a connection card in front of you. Man, fill it out, take it to the Welcome Center. We'd love to to talk to you, to pray with you, to, to talk about what it looks like to grow in your relationship with him. For all of us, man, if if this whole subject just kind of gets you weird, you know, feeling like you want to shut down or feeling prickly or, you know, like Clayton talked about last week, these emotions might be coming up from the past or some fear or anxiety or hurt or whatever. Just, just if you're struggling with this, ask God to look at your heart. Is there something in you that needs to be addressed? Is there a wound that needs to be healed? And, and I, I just want all of our prayers today to be just, God, search us, grow us. Just expand our capacity for faith and trust in you. God, give us that God-given desire to live for something bigger than us, for, for the fame and the glory of God.